Good morning, everyone. So if, if you are a, a Georgia alumni or you care about Georgia, please raise your hand. All right, the rest of you, I want you to lay hands on all on us. My son, who, who's a, a first year student at Georgia, he texted me last night after the loss and he said, Dad, do you, I just am so worried that Georgia's not gonna win another national championship while I'm there. And I thought, man, when I was coming up, we were just hoping to go to a bowl game. So just realize that a good majority of the room is in deep mourning today. And I think you should all be very sensitive, especially people who are wearing houndstooth patterns and reading the Bible. Uh, it's a heartbreak that really broke my heart. Uh, I, I felt it deep, deep inside. Happy Advent, y'all. It's so good to be together in God's house. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 64. We're going to read the first nine verses, and I love the fact that we're going to be in the Old Testament during this Advent season. Um, this is an opportunity for us uh, to learn how to wait, and we've got a lot of our kiddos in the room with us, and waiting is really hard work. Uh, learning to wait for anything, big or little, it's hard work, isn't it? And one of the biggest gifts of the Advent season is that we have this intentional opportunity to wait for Christmas. So um, we have these candles out there, but you can find five, any old five candles for your house. Uh, we have them at our house. Ours are less fancy, and yet they're, they're just as meaningful. And over the course of the next month, we're going to be lighting candles to learn how to mark time and wait. And for you kids, I remember when I, when I was a kid... I would sometimes find Christmas presents wrapped under the Christmas tree, and when my parents weren't around, I would shake the presents and try to find out whether they were heavy or light or, um, you know, what was inside because it was just really hard to wait. It was hard to be ready. And so I just want to say to those of you who are younger in the room, just knowing that you've got to wait for Christmas to come is a way to learn how to grow as a person. And for you grown-ups... You know, Jeff Bezos has ruined the whole deal because we don't, well, I mean, it may be in more ways than one. I'm not very dialed in, but here's one of the ways that I know he's ruined it is that when I don't get a package within 36 hours, I freak out and feel like there's like an injustice in the universe. We don't know how to wait. Advent is a time to wait. And I love being in the Anglican tradition for all kinds of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is the rhythm of the church. Mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence from ages to ages past. No one has heard, no ear has perceived no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways, but you are angry and we sinned because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We've all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind, they take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter and we are the work of your hand. 
Do not be exceedingly angry, Lord. Do not remember our iniquity forever. Now consider we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, I ask you to help us for the next 20 minutes or so to be truly present in this room. I pray, God, that you would give us a sense of learning how to wait. And I pray, God, that in our waiting, you would do things in us that would make us more ready, more awake, more alert, more prepared for good things. Teach us to anticipate good things, hopeful things, even as we wait today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we'll say this over and over and over again. I want to encourage you to beware of making the Advent season too sentimental. Uh, Christmas is coming, but Christmas is not yet. This is our opportunity to learn how to wait, to learn how to watch, to learn how to anticipate, to learn how to prepare. And kids, we're so thankful that you guys are in the room today. It's so good to be together to remind ourselves that young and old, uh, we are called to prepare and to wait and to watch together. So I'm only going to share just a few short things from this passage that I think might help us um, grow in our waiting, grow in our faith during this season of time. And we're just going to list them up on the screen one at a time as we walk through. Number one, the prophet starts this chapter by saying, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And in your Bibles, whenever you hear a word um, starting out like, oh, or ho or hark. That's a, a yell it out kind of word. And this beautiful sentence, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Do you know what that means? It just means we're being invited to learn how to cry out. And a lot of us live most of our lives inside of our heads. And we actually even think we're praying when really we're just worrying inside of our heads so much of the time. And what I love about the prophet here is the prophet is saying, I want you to learn how to cry out with your mouth. And effectively, all this sentence is saying is, God, would you come close to me and make me aware of your presence? That's literally, I'm trapped. I got caught. That's quite literally what the prophet is asking us to do. Is he saying, would you cry out with your mouth? Now, I would not encourage you to do this for the first time in a coffee shop. I mean, you can, but if you yell out, oh God, come close to me, you might get some weird looks. But I would encourage you to find some places where your ears can hear the prayer of your mouth. Too much of our praying is trapped up inside of our heads. And praying was meant to be uttered out loud. And so what I am doing in this season of my life is finding time to where I'm alone and I'm able to say out loud, God, would you come and give me an awareness of your presence? Because the truth of this prayer, it's not that God is somehow like up here and we're down here, but we oftentimes live our lives as if that were true. I think actually, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down is as much a prayer for us to become aware that God is nearer to us and is working. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So first and foremost, I want to call you to pray out loud at some point this week. God, make me aware that you are near and involved in my life. Help me to see what is already happening and do more of it. That's what the prophet is asking us to do. I love the fact that in this, and you miss this if you're not careful, but in the first section of this, this passage, when God comes close, so when he tears open the heavens and come down, the prophet says two things happen. Sparks fly and water boils. Sparks fly. 
which is like life emerges where there is no life. There's a spark. You may feel right now like you need a spark. One of the ways that we are receiving of the spark of God is to pray, oh, come close to me. God, let me live my life as if you are near because you are near. And then when sparks fly, the prophet tells us that water boils. And boiled water is clean water. It's comforting water. Safe water. That God, when he comes close, he actually does a work in us. When he arrives, he brings new life and he brings cleansing and he brings comfort. And I believe that God wants each and every one of us to pray, God, make me aware. God, come down and be close. God, let me live my life as if you are involved because God is involved. The second thing the prophet calls us to do is to remember the things that God has done. I believe that remembering is so very vitally important. And remembering is one of the primary works of the Advent season. And that's why we're called to slow down. It's why we're called to step back. It's why we're called to mark time. It's why we're called to be more intentional about our reflecting. Because y'all, if we live our lives hurried, worried, busy, and distracted, we will not notice and we will not remember. So there is an intentional invitation for us during this season to be a remembering people. And I believe remembering happens in two ways. There's personal remembering, like what has God done in my life? And then there's collective remembering, what's God done in your life? Because I'm a part of that. Like that's part of what Addie was saying about us gathering for these feasts is that we remember when we gather that your story and my story are connected. And so when I see God work in faithfulness in your life, I claim that as a part of my own story. The danger that we run into is we tend to trade one kind of remembering for the other, or we just don't remember at all. When we're not intentional, we don't remember. Some of you, God is calling you to be intentional about remembering. And then another danger is that I'll think, well, this is all just about me. I'm going to remember what God has done in me or not done in me, and then that's it. We're meant to hold that personal remembering in light of a collective remembering. Yesterday, we mourned and celebrated. We grieved the passing of a young man, a young boy who's a dear and beloved part of our church family. And as I sat in this sanctuary with 480 people, Mourning with the Stone family, honoring John's life. I claimed that faithfulness as a part of my story. It wasn't just their story, it was our story. You guys have invited us into a space of sharing in the faithfulness of God because you are willing to have it told out loud. Our remembering is not just about us. And it's not just about other people, it's about both. God is working in your life. But here's what I know. If we don't stop and notice, we miss the acknowledgement of so much of what God is doing. So one of the things before us as we step into the Advent season is to stop and begin to think, where is God working? Where has he been working in my life? And just like it was true 2,000 years ago, the work of God when it begins to manifest in our life is oftentimes easy to miss. People weren't looking for Jesus when he came. I mean, they were looking for a savior, but they were looking for like a more grown up one. A politician, a military hero. They weren't looking for a baby in a backwater town. 
And similarly, the work of God, when it begins in you, is almost always accompanied by the admonition, despise not the day of small beginnings. God starts so often in small ways because he wants us to be the kinds of people that notice the work of God in infancy so that we can celebrate it when it's full grown. So God's calling us to remember where has he worked in you and where has he worked in those around you? Because it's both together that help me remember. Why do we need to remember? We need to remember because we tend to forget. The prophet, after saying remember, he says we fade like a leaf and we're easily carried away. So much of my own experience when I'm in the fragility of the moment feels leaf-like. It feels like I just get blown off my mark. And I'm sure that's true for you. We're called to remember individually and collectively a part of the family of God because in a broken space and in a broken state, we tend to be more like leaves than we want to be. And we're told by the prophet that we tend to blow around. And then not only are we vulnerable, leaf-like, we, we also have sin that carries us away. Things that move us away from the goodness and the love of God. And I believe that the Lord wants us to acknowledge that so much of life can feel leaf-like, but that that's not the end of the story. If, if we had just ended with, well, we're all like a bunch of leaves, good luck. This would have been a really like unadventy advent sort of sermon passage. But here's where it ends. We are, according to God, clay. And he is the potter. We're not leaves in the eyes of God. We're clay. Okay, kiddos, come on up here. Miller kids. I think we tend to vacillate. Y'all come right up here in the front. I promised them there were not going to be any trick questions, anything weird happening. How old are you guys, H? Ten. Ten? Nine. Seven. Seven. These kids are awesome. They've been around this church for a very, their whole lives, as I recall. I knew your mom and dad when they were not old people, when they were young people. <laughs> so... If we feel sometimes circumstantially like leaves just falling off the trees, this morning I'm leaving the church, my house for the church. A week ago, I got on my roof with a backpack blower, risking my life every year I do this, and I blow the leaves off. And then it rains, and there are more leaves on there. So I feel like those leaves. I was just cursing them as I was driving to church today. But at other times, I feel like this brick. I feel hard-hearted. I feel heavy. I feel not very malleable. So here's what I want you guys to do, okay? You're the biggest, so probably the strongest because you're the big sister. I want you to come over here. <laughs> no offense, guys. And I want you to flatten that brick if you could just right now. I don't want you to throw it, but I want you to I want you to see if you can flatten it with your shoes or your hands, maybe even both. So, like, get to work on that. All right, keep, keep working. Okay, now, I want you to see if you can flatten that or roll it up. Make a funny shape with those things. Like, is there a shape you could make of some kind? Get to work. Okay. 
Okay, what kind of a shape are we making here? That looks uh, like that. It's like a snake or like a cylinder of some kind. Uh, could you roll it in and try to make it more like a ball? Let's see if one of you can like roll it around. That's like a little trick. You just do it that way. Keep going. Here, let's, here, here. Here, here's what I want you to do. Y'all keep working over there. All right, get, on, get down on your knees. And let's see, maybe it just needs to be like this. Okay, now, let, put your hands on it and just see if you could, come on, a little harder. Just keep working, keep working. Okay. Oh, gosh. Totally changed shape. That's a ball. Okay, now, see if you could put that on the stage and just push it and flat. Keep, keep on. Now, like, flatten it out. Like, push on it and see if you can, like, pizza dough it. You know what I mean? They, hey, they're doing a lot over here. Um, oh, that's amazing. Now, see if you could, like, make a face out of that or something like that. Like, a, you know, eyes. Ooh, yeah. Come on. It's amazing. Oh, there you go. Probably shouldn't have done the floor, though. We'll get in trouble for that. Okay, guys, everybody, let's give these kids a hand. Stand up, stand up. You guys are amazing. Everybody, take a bow. Take a bow. Well done. You guys can take that Play-Doh. You got to leave the brick with me because I love that brick too much. You can have the rest of that Play-Doh. God bless you guys. So are we going to be like this? When your heart feels hard, is, does God just say, well, I guess that one's a brick? When God looks at you, despite the fact that you have leaf-like tendencies and that your hearts can get really hard, when he looks at us in his heart, he says, you are clay and I'm the potter. They went from cylinder to circle to pizza pie. Meanwhile, big sis, no fault of her own, she wasn't going to be able to move that hard-hearted thing. God wants us to surrender to his shaping, and that means we become substantial but malleable. Clay, when handled expertly, is form and function. It's, it's beautiful, but it's also useful. When God looks at you and when he looks at me, he tells us our sin makes us leaf-like. Our vulnerability and fragility, life can make us brick-like. But he looks at us and he says, I want you to know that when I speak a word over you, young and old alike in this room, the word I speak over you is you are clay and he's the potter. So what we have to do is find ways to get our lives in his hands. That's what Advent is all about. An opportunity to put our lives in God's hands through reading and meditation and devotion, through participation in the practices that move us into being the kinds of people that God's called us to be. So here's what I want to call you to do. Over the next few days, I want to ask you to consider these questions. Let's just put them up. And I've, I basically have made a, a decision to, um, to not just ask you one question, because I actually think... Um, if I have an agenda, it's that you all would start journaling. <laughs> I think that's what I want. Um, I can't make you journal, but I, I can put questions in front of you that you can't answer in three minutes. So you can take a picture of this. What I would love, and I think one of the things the Lord would love, is if we would take time over the next week asking ourselves these questions. 
Where has God worked? Can we name it? Where have we not noticed his work? Can we name it? Including where he's worked in the lives of people we love who then encourage us to keep moving. Their story is our story. Your story is my story. We belong to one another. That's why you should all be sad that Georgia lost yesterday. Every one of you. Because we belong to one another. In what parts of your life do you feel leaf-like? Where is sin taking root and causing you to kind of blow around, blow away? There are so many parts. This morning, I felt very leaf-like in some parts of my heart. Where is God wanting you to name that? This is an opportunity to begin to repent of sin. Where are you brick-like? Where is there hardness that the Lord doesn't want to control the story of your life? Where is he asking you to be more like clay? Dealing with the reality of the parts of our lives is really important. And then, what does it mean to begin to submit to God's forming hand? I have found in my own life, submission almost always involves me ceasing some things and beginning other things. And I believe the Lord looks at us and he says, there are some things I want you to stop and there are some things I want you to begin. Submission's not just about stopping or just about beginning, it's both usually. So we're going to hold this for just a moment before we come to communion. We're going to be still just for a second and start a process that I hope will carry you into your week and then we'll come to this table. But first, let's be still.